0: We all have to ask this question, what kind of world do we want? How do we want to be treated in our world? A grace-fueled civility, uh, if you were to put it more granularly, you're more concerned about creating light in a conversation, not heat. Mm-hmm. You're, you're more uh, concerned about pursuing truth rather than getting your rhetorical point across. You're, you're more concerned about the common good than you are about your own agenda. You're more interested in a, a desire for the common good than uh, a desire for self-promotion. You're, you're more interested in service rather than selfishness. That's grace-fueled civility. And uh, let me just tell you, I don't believe that that's easily won, but I believe that is a beautiful ideal to pursue with everything that we can muster.
1: This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics, while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. What are a few other core tasks in your mind, and, and maybe get a little beyond, Sure. The, uh, I think you've said very well that OBU sits in a very specific uh, place in higher ed. Sure. Thinking about higher ed in general, what are right. a few other core tasks?
0: Well, uh, you know, what's desperately needed in our world today is education rather than indoctrination. Mm. We need to develop in uh, the higher ed space people who can think, people who can... Uh, analyze problems. It's easy to identify problems. Mm -hmm. Anybody on the street can say, oh, that's a problem. What we need are people who recognize problems and then are able to think 365 degrees around the problem and absolutely provide solutions to the problem. That's what we strive to do at OBU through our Christian liberal arts education, not just identify problems, but provide ways of thinking through them, analyzing them, and then providing solutions. For that to be effective, uh, we've got to move away from uh, indoctrination, which um, moves people into rigidity and ruts, Mm -hmm. and we've got to move towards education, which is, uh, in the liberal arts tradition, it's actually liberating. Mm -hmm. You're able to think beyond the ruts, outside the ruts, create your own wake, and for us to to move forward at, in in higher education, I think we've got to move beyond indoctrination towards education. As a Christian liberal arts university, OBU uh, does that uh, I think very well with because we believe uh, that you know in our context, Jesus Christ is the clue that unlocks the totality of our world, and so that m- may seem to some of our hearers uh, very. Um, strange but actually we believe that uh, our our centrality our anchor point in Christ actually opens us up to thinking creatively thinking outside the box finding solutions uh, rather than just identifying mm. problems so but I, I do believe in in overall higher education we, we've got to move towards education rather than indoctrination that's a very difficult task yeah because our culture pushes us towards groupthink. Right. And that's a bit, uh, we've, we've got to kind of fight against that.
1: There's an intuitive logic to this as well. Why else would we be able to identify problems if we mm. didn't have the potential to analyze them and discover solutions? Mm. Doesn't mean that we're always equipped to do that. Right. And that's what I'm really hearing is that's where higher ed comes in. Yes. I mean, if we can identify them, then it is possible. Right. To, to navigate them and identify solutions as right. well. But our, our problems as a society are not simple. They're complex. No, that's right. And the solutions naturally then will be complex.
0: And the education aspect, uh, we can get more granular on that. Uh, analysis, so thinking skills, analysis, um, a sense of history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the great dangers in our world is that uh, it's always the immediacy of the present. Uh, In in other words, the present is all that there is and ever was. That's not actually true. If we gain a a sense of our history, where we are in the world, we gain the understanding that we're cultured, we're traditioned, uh, and uh, cultured, we're enculturated, and we're traditioned, and there there are aspects that we can learn from the past so that we don't repeat the, mm-hmm. those mistakes uh I, w- I would also say you know what we've got to do uh in if if higher ed is going to have a future uh we've got to have those that sense of history those analytical skills but one of the key things and I know this is something that you're interested in Joel is the ability to communicate yeah to talk with people with whom we disagree to communicate effectively and part of that is the ability to read and discern and analyze but part of it is uh the ability to talk outside of one's own echo, echo chamber yeah and that's a vital uh component of i believe uh higher education it should be and it is at obu it should be more widely and what that means is you know we're entering the public square with a kind of civility yeah a kind of humility but also with a confidence that uh you know i I have a voice too you know and that's important
1: there's this aspiration i think that's in our uh, nation right now we we see where we are in this current moment and we're not okay with it Uh, we want to do better and we need to move now to the practical. How can we do it better? Right. So I would love you to respond to this statement. Another point of view or perspective is not just valid because another human being holds it, mm. but it is also valuable. Mm. It doesn't mean you will agree with it. It doesn't mean that you will ever agree with it, but there is value in it beyond just it being a valid perspective, right. value. How can we actually practically begin to do that?
0: Well, I think that's a that's a powerful idea, isn't it? It's 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 the notion that uh, human beings have uh, agency; they have voice, and uh, you know, beyond validity, they have voice. Uh, you know, it's it's they're living human beings, and that's that is a powerful reality. I think what I would say, um, in our, in our current culture, how can we, uh, how can we reach that aspiration? I think we have to do it, uh, with, with great humanity. And what I mean by that is it's easy to talk a good game. It's, it's a very different thing to walk it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one of the things that we can do as humans, I think, um, is, Rather than uh, firing off a tweet or firing off a a note or something like that, sit down and have a coffee with someone. Yeah, Have a real-life conversation with someone with whom you disagree. This is a a human way of interacting. And our world right now is moving towards... um, easy there are easy ways to engage other human beings right now twitter being one of them or social media being uh, one of them but i'm not sure that they're helpful Mm -hmm. so easy and helpful aren't always the same if i'm sitting down talking with someone usually uh, a meal or someplace where we can sit and actually talk with one another Then I begin to see that person and their voice and their agency, uh, even if I I don't have to disagree with it or I don't have to agree with it, but what I can begin to do is see this is a real person and I can respect them. I can engage and I got to recognize that I live in the same world as this person with whom I fundamentally disagree and we've got to live together. Yeah. And uh, because really there's no option, we live in the same space, we operate in the same world. We've got to work together. We've got to live together. And so I do believe there there is something human about th- those age old uh, practices that we've we've had: sharing meals together, talking with one another, taking walks together, spending time with one another, rather than. What I would call you know lobbing grenades on the Twitter sphere yeah. or lobbing grenades on your social media post, or really just trying to blow somebody up that that's it's easy. I just don't believe it's helpful.
1: yeah, I'm an optimist, right? I see a better future coming. Uh, I see a, an opportunity really to do just what you say and uh, and part of that is in the fact that we are coming out of a year of social distancing. Right. There is a hunger for the human interactions right. and, and an openness to it. So seize that hunger. See, Let's take full advantage of this moment we're in and have some of those conversations that we would have deferred to technology or social media. Sure. And I'm a huge advocate of technology yeah. and social media. But let's seize on that hunger and that opportunity to have those conversations. You already started to use a term uh, that you've written, and it's really one of the first times I ever encountered this term was in your book with Bruce Ashford, The Gospel of Our King, and it's this concept of grace-fueled civility. And if you don't mind me reading to you some of what you wrote and fully acknowledging that this is now two-thirds into the book, so there's right. a lot of background already there. Sure, yeah. Um, but you write this. You said, A second imperative for Christians is to be civil in our public demeanor. Amid the West's toxic public square, Christians' political interactions should stand out from the fray. Our public speech and political actions should reveal the difference Christ makes when He takes lordship of our lives. And this is the line you use. Without conviction, we will be public wimps. Without grace-fueled civility, we will be yet another political loudmouth or bully. Mm. Going beyond what you've written in the book, what is grace-fueled civility?
0: Well, uh, my co-author and I, uh, Dr. Bruce Ashford, uh, he and I have a friendship that now spans uh, over a decade. Uh, One of the things that we've been trying to do uh, in our friendship is identify points of disagreement and points of agreement, uh, noting that in our in our culture, man, it sure does seem like uh, the public square is fraught with all sorts of anger. Um, people talking past one another and not talking to one another. As followers of Jesus. Uh, we don't have to prove ourselves everything that that we need for life and for our self identity and for self worth has been obtained by jesus christ on our behalf so we can be free to operate in our world with grace grace mm-hmm. towards one another and and grace is a funny um it's a funny word i mean it i don't think people really think about what grace actually is mm-hmm. but but grace is Selflessness, it's kindness, it's generosity, it's all the things that we find in Christ. It's it's forgiveness. It's all of this wrapped into. So, if we're operating in the public sphere or the public square, a grace, um, a grace fueled civility would be treating other people with kindness, generosity, fairness, forgiveness. Uh, thinking of someone else rather than you thinking first of yourself. That's what we mean by grace-fueled civility. Um, Loving our neighbor as ourselves. So if I would want to be treated fairly with kindness, that's how we operate in the public square. Now, some people would argue, well, that is pointless because it is a dog-eat-dog world, yeah, and you don't want to just have the scraps. You want to have the... But as followers of Jesus, uh, we want to operate as Jesus operated, with grace, with kindness. And I believe the effort to do that is worth, um, it's worth the risk. It is absolutely worth the risk because we all have to ask this question, what kind of world do we want? How do we want to be treated in our world? A grace-fueled civility... Uh, <laughs> if you were to put it more granularly, you're more concerned about creating light in a conversation, not heat. Mm-hmm. You're, you're more uh, concerned about pursuing truth rather than getting your rhetorical point across. You're, you're more concerned about the common good than you are about your own agenda. You're more interested in a, a desire for the common good than uh, a desire for self-promotion. You're, you're more interested in service rather than selfishness. That's grace-fueled civility. And uh, let me just tell you, I don't believe that that's easily won, but I believe that is a beautiful ideal to pursue with everything that we can muster.
1: That is a powerful idea, and we can sense that it's needed. Yes. If it's rightly employed, what will it result in?
0: Well, I I do believe in our world today, uh, I think it's hard to come by, but you you see beautiful signs of this all over the place. When you have advances for the common good, uh, I think these are beautiful examples where grace-fueled civility has taken hold. Let me just say it this way. You know, as, as Americans, we can say a lot of things because we have freedom of speech. And a lot of people take that, take advantage of that. Uh, But just because we can say certain things, not everything that we say or have the freedom to say is actually helpful, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, A grace-fueled civility is measured in our speech. Uh, uh, You know, I think about the proverb— a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. It's like a jewel, uh, jewel or jewelry that adorns one's life. Uh, grace-fueled civility is like that jewelry in our public square. Uh, it adorns people. It adorns projects. And uh, when we see uh, people linking arms together in their communities for common good, I believe that's where grace-fueled civility takes hold. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we need more of it, not less.
1: But you're also right. There is this sense it's a dog-eat-dog world. I think there's a lot of fear that is fueling that uh, concern, and I'm really worried uh, that I have to win every single position. What practical advice would you give to a person who's trying to find that line between being a public wimp that's just going to be taken advantage of or a another political loudmouth or bully
0: well i mean very practically speaking i'm a follower of jesus so uh one of the things that is uh, vital for me is um learning the wisdom of the scriptures again i just drew from the book of proverbs i found the book of proverbs extraordinarily helpful on when to speak and when not to speak, and yeah. building wisdom into my life. Uh, I don't know that I'm wise, but uh, it, boy, the book of Proverbs gives a lot of wisdom. And, and that's to say, I think you need training in what it looks like. Um, and so uh, for me, reading uh, Scripture, prayer is vital. I also think, uh, you know, in our day, we've got to listen to people who have been further down the road than us. Mm-hmm. Learning from people who have more experience than we do, learning to people, uh, learning from people that we trust, who uh, who who have been through some of the battles, made some of the mistakes. Um, for me, learning from folks who are further down the road has been absolutely vital. Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? I'm thinking about saying this. What do you think? I'm thinking about saying it in this way. What do you think? And I'm telling you. Um, You know just because something can be said doesn't mean that it should be said yeah and sometimes those who are further down the road that we trust are able to say hey i dial it back or that really could create division why don't you say it this way or why don't you approach this situation with this and uh those um people that are further down the road don't have to be people that are most uh immediately your closest allies or friends they can actually be someone with whom you fundamentally disagree, but who's become a friend over the years yeah. because of those conversations. And you don't agree with them, but you trust them that they'll give you uh, unvarnished truth. Yeah, It's very important.
1: At the same time, you have provided insightful, precise lessons in how we really can move into this moment that we're in as well as giving us a masterclass in what it looks like to navigate and and aspire for that better uh, culture and nation and state that we want. In the few minutes we have remaining, uh, Dr. Thomas, a fellow university president uh, has been uh, cited as saying, when you've found a leader, you've found a reader. Right, And you've already talked a lot about the books that you read. Uh, what are f- a few of the books that you find yourself returning to? What are those mm-hmm. books that, that just keep emerging as very significant for you?
0: Well, I appreciate the question. It is absolutely true that leaders are readers and readers are leaders. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely true. Um, you know, I, I'm a very strange person. I have extraordinarily eclectic tastes when it comes to reading so I've just picked up a uh, because I'm am an, I'm an uh, a biblical scholar Old Testament scholar I, I read strange things so I, I've just picked up about a 700 page book on Assyrian correspondence of uh, women merchants hmm. in uh, in ancient Assyria so I, I'm looking believe it or not I'm really looking forward to reading that not least because uh, these look to be the early, earliest women business people who helped fund caravans to turkey and to all all these places and so we get to read in cuneiform their uh, their correspondence and their business dealings i just find that endlessly yeah. fascinating so that's that's a historical thing that i'm reading uh for 2021 that's going to take a little bit of time because uh, it's pretty technical But I'm also uh, reading a book again in my world uh, from a professor who was at the University of uh, St. Andrews for a number of years. He taught at Yale and now he's in Toronto. Uh, He's written a book called The Elder Testament. It's a book on Old Testament work uh, published by Baylor University Press. His name's Chris Seitz, a friend of mine. And uh, I'm going to be reading his work again for a project that I'm working on. My ancient. Uh, reading, um, early kind of interpretation, kind of reading that I'm working on is a book by uh, Origen, uh, one of the brightest lights in the history of humanity. Uh, Origen wrote a book called On First Principles, and there's a new translation by Father John Baer, uh, published by Oxford University Press. I've got that to read. Uh, in light of the challenges we faced in 2020, Uh, I picked up a book uh, by Robert Jones called White Too Long. Uh, The subtitle is The Legacy of White Supremacy in in American Christianity. I'm going to read that. And then um, for what it means to express religion in uh, the public square and the university, uh, there's a professor from Yale called Nicholas Wolterstorff, and he's written a book called Religion in the University. And I'm looking forward to reading that work. I've picked that up. There's a lot of other very technical things that I'm doing for writing projects, but I mean, there's about five people in the world who will read that. So yeah. <laughs>
1: fine. I might have to pick your brain on that that book on uh, ancient yeah. uh, business women. We our youngest daughter is named for Lydia. Oh, okay. Who was yeah. the you know, dealer of of Purple, uh, purple yeah. in Philippi. Uh, and so we we named our youngest for her, and I was in Philippi, going back to this idea of traveling, and, and I, I went down to the riverside where, uh, where Paul baptized her, and there's wow. a little gift shop, and so I bought a little cross that they say was made out of the brushwood along right, that river. It was probably yeah. made at Hobby Lobby right, and shipped sure. over to, to Greece. Well, Dr. Thomas, what's happening at OBU that you are particularly excited about, you're proud of, that the university is doing right now?
0: That's a great question. Well, uh, we're trying to ask that question very intentionally. Uh, what are the great needs of our day and how can this university help? How can we serve? And so I'm excited right now that our faculty and our staff are leaning in, 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 all the different ways that our our university flexes into our communities. And they're asking that question, all right, you know, curricularly uh, in terms of profession, what do our our communities actually need? So we're gonna be launching some new things uh, in the next year to two years, new programs. For instance, engineering uh, is on the horizon because some uh, community industry leaders came to us and said, hey, we love the shape of your education. Would you be interested in us helping you formulate an engineering program that would add value and create pipelines for need in our state? And we said, yes, we can do that. So that's exciting. I'm excited uh, to say that we've just launched an endeavor at the Lexington uh, uh, prison facility uh, to do a full bachelor's degree there in person, and um, that's that's a really exciting initiative we have right now. Uh, Forty inmates who are going to be starting their bachelor's degree, and we're going to be teaching in person on site. And uh, that that's uh, the Department of Corrections has been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Our state, our governor has been very helpful in this regard. Uh, everybody's been so helpful in. Uh, answering the questions and ensuring that we're doing things the right way so that we're able to equip, uh, inmates with, um, a bachelor's program. We've had unbelievable amount of donors come forward. So this is not coming through the university budget. This is fully fundraised yeah. because people are passionate about seeing, uh, uh some of our inmates, uh, educated yeah. so that we can lower the recidivism rate, uh, and uh, we can add value to those families. So uh, that's that's exciting. It's a fantastic initiative. Yeah, it is, it's really exciting. But that that's, those are just illustrative of the larger aim, to add value to our communities. And again, I'm excited that OBU is willing to ask the basic question, look out beyond themselves to their communities and ask, how can we help? What do you need? And then how can we flex to meet those needs? That's what I'm most excited about with OBU. Uh, students are catching that vision. Prospective students and families are, are catching that vision. We've got people literally from all over the U.S., all over uh, the world, although COVID has thrown a wrench in that, uh, coming to OBU and uh, wanting to be part of the education that we're, we're doing here. So I'm excited about that.
1: Just as a closing question, I cannot thank you enough for your time and what you've shared and all the wisdom and practical uh, advice you've given from where you sit in the university context here at OBU in Oklahoma mm-hmm. and in our nation, what gives you hope for the future of civility in our public discourse and in our politics in our nation?
0: What gives me hope that's a that's a tough question to answer actually. Um, if I'm honest, what gives me hope uh, for our future? is found in our student population at Oakland Baptist University. I look out across our student body and uh, these are the next generation of future shapers. Uh, They're gonna be the ones who are caring for us when we are uh, infirm. They're gonna be the ones who are shaping the world in which we live. And what gives me hope is to see their passion Uh, It gives me hope to see their desire to add value to communities. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I look across our university student body, what gives me hope is these are women and men who are passionate about being lights in their world. And uh, we talk a lot about that at OBU. Um, don't just go in and get a job and, and earn money. Anybody can do that Mm -hmm. through a profession or a job, go make a positive difference in your world, go add value, uh, families and, and loved ones and friends, uh, have added value to help fund this education that you have, go pay that forward in your community. And, you know, our, uh, we ring that bell a lot here. Uh, our students rise to meet that. And they go and they add value to their communities. They shape their world. And I hear stories about it all the time. I was in a meeting not too long ago uh, with uh, a number of of leaders in our state and in our region. And uh, it was a kind of a closed door meeting uh, about how we can add value to our, our state and our community. And uh, it was uh, by invitation only, and I don't know why they asked me, but they asked me to come. So I went, and there was about 30 or 40 of us around the table, and um, I I began looking around, and I recognized a lot of the people in the room, Hmm. uh, women and men who I recognized, and I thought, how do I recognize? These people were at OBU with me when I was a student. And here they are. Uh, Some are helping refugee communities in Oklahoma. Some are in uh, housing uh, projects, doing community kind of renewal work in Oklahoma City or in Tulsa. Some are doing um, uh, work with uh, orphan care here in the state. Some are doing this or some are doing that. But what gives me hope is they were the students 25 years ago and now they're making a positive impact in our state and in our communities. And, you know, I anticipate that story will be retold with our students on our campus right now in 25 years. So that gives me great hope. I don't know that I have hope in technology. I don't know that I have hope in uh, a lot of different kinds of, uh, you know, structures that we think are just impermeable, Um, I I do have hope in our people. Mm. I have hope that uh, our students will be change agents for good.
1: Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through non-political and non-partisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on the leaders we need provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.